one of my favorite things to talk about, and I'm not sure why, but one of my favorite things to talk about as illustration is growing up and being afraid of things. And this week, or the last two weeks, as I've been just kind of mulling over, a fear that I had as a child that I've completely forgot about kind of came rushing back in. You see, I had the privilege of having my very own room growing up. I had two sisters, two younger sisters, and they had to share. They got the bigger room, but they had to share. I had my own room, and it was great, and I've talked about um, how I've been afraid in my room before, my bed that had had things that lived under it, a big giant apartment-sized space for things to live. But this week I was reminded, or I just, I remembered that in my closet, up above the, the bar where my clothes would hang, up above the shelf where our family board games would be placed, was a little square cutout in the ceiling. And I remember as a young kid being three or four, asking dad, daddy, you know, what's that for? And he's like, well, that's how you get to the attic. And I was like, ooh, the attic. And then I thought for a little bit, and I was like, wait a minute. That's just an easier access point for the things that are already living in my closet to invite their friends in through the attic. And it just, ah, I, I, and so this little access hole that would have taken me through the ceiling up into the attic to see to see all the inner workings of the roof and how it all kind of fit together, I never once, even to this very day, for different reasons, but up until this very moment in time, on this very day, I still have never poked my head through that little hole to look up into the attic through the ceiling. I've missed out on a lot of things because I was limited in life. I was, I was limited by a fear of what might be up there. I was limited by a fear of getting in trouble. You see, we had a popcorn ceiling, and if you know anything about popcorn ceilings, anytime you touch a popcorn ceiling, it begins to snow down upon you. And I just knew that all my clothes would come, come covered out in some sort of white dust that my mom would know, and I would be caught for having gone up into the attic and made a, made a mess of stuff. I was limited in my experience because I didn't poke my head through the ceiling. Today we're going to take some time exploring how God wants to take us through the ceiling. And by the time we get to the end of it, hopefully we'll realize an even greater truth. But I want to focus on what God wants to do to take us through the ceiling. I want to look at what ceilings even are in our lives, to look at the things that limit our experience and understanding of who God is in our life and what he longs to do in us. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them. We'll be spending most of our time in Genesis, but our key passage today is found in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, a New Testament book, it's one of those tiny books that if you, in my Bible, turn about five pages, you've gone from before Ephesians to after Ephesians. So it's way in the back there. It's in, if you find Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, I think is what it is. I, if I don't say them all in order, start at a certain point, I get lost. Kind of like the ABCs. I have to start at like LMN to figure out where O and P come. 
anyway, that, sorry, that was a little insight into myself that you may or may not want to know. But anyway, but if you're looking for those, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, has the text we're going to spend most of our time on today. And it says this, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, says, Now to him, that would be God, now to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I mean, what a, what a picture. Immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. Some versions translate it different. And I like the New King James because it just clues you in to, to the fact that English does not translate this word very well. In the New King James Version, it said, God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more. It's like they're using the same word that mean, doesn't really mean anything different, but just saying, we can't explain the vastness of this word to you with just one word, so we're going to throw out two words. Exceedingly, abundantly more. That is what God has in store for us today. It is the power of God that allows us to punch through the ceilings in our life. To know more than we can ask or imagine. To know immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly more. Let that sink into you today. Immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly more. We talk about that. We talk a lot about that here at Grace Point, the abundance of God and what it means. And as we, over this, the month of January, have been diving into that a little bit, I was drawn to that idea of looking at abundance and God's working in our life and His immeasurable, exceedingly, abundantly more that He wants to give us. We have been, if you're following along, in the reading, the Bible reading that we're doing We've started a Bible reading for the third year, going through the Bible this year. I will have a moment of transparency. I have always started the plan. I have struggled to finish the plan. But this year is going to be different. I have made some changes. I've done some things. And I'm doing exceedingly abundantly well at the moment. (laughs) Praise be to Jesus. But we are reading, this past week we've been going through Genesis. We kind of skipped out of Genesis, went to Job, and have come back into it and picked up the story of Abraham and moved through the story of Abraham into Isaac, his son, and now through Isaac's son, Jacob, and Esau. And we've kind of moved through that. And it wasn't planned that I would try and preach a sermon that was based on that. It just as I was mulling this over, I realized that what I was reading provided an excellent clue that would allow us to look at the ceilings that we create And how God wants to help us punch through. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 is a famous story. I even preached a sermon a few months back on this very story. Um, So I'm not going to dive into some of those same things. But I want to point this out. In Genesis chapter 22, we find the story of Abraham and Isaac. Classically called the sacrifice of Isaac. Better referred to by Jewish scholars, I think, as the binding of Isaac. Because he was never sacrificed. 
he was bound up there on the altar, but that was the worst of it. And so Abraham gets this dream. He gets this dream from God, and apparently, if you just follow the sequence of Scripture, he gets a dream of God. I'm sure it wakes him up, and the Bible makes it sound like he woke up and said, all right, let's go. And so he packed up his things, I think was kind of quiet, you know, did the little sneaky thing, you know, tried not to wake up the wife. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that um, with your wife when you're trying to get out. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, Yeah, it can be interesting. But he sneaks out, and he starts to travel. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 4, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. Now just stop for a second there. We talk about some of the words that get used, but I just love this. Go yonder and worship. I mean, come on. How redneck does that sound? I mean, it's like, let's go yonder and worship together. I love it. Let's go yonder and worship. And then we will come back to you. I want to stop here and focus on that. And we will come back to you. You see, in this moment... Abraham, who has, who has struggled in life a bit, who has made mistakes, who has not trusted that God can do what God said he would do, who waited a hundred years to even have a son, is trying to change. He's trying to have faith that speaks deeper than what he thinks he sees. And so in this moment, he says a very faith-filled statement. We're going up this hill to sacrifice Isaac, but we will come back. He is speaking as though what he believes is going to be true. He is speaking in faith. And I know a lot of times the the concept of fake it till you make it is not necessarily a great concept. But Don't discount it too much, because I think at times it can work. You see, Abraham, in this moment of faith, when he was probably struggling, how is this going to work, created a picture in his mind that he was like, I'm going to believe that God can do it this way. And I'm going to speak as if God is going to do it this way. There's times in my life, and I'm sure there's times in your life as well, When we need to speak as if we have faith when we have none. We need to speak as if we have faith when we have none. Don't worry about the feelings of faith. Those feelings will come when we just trust and speak into our existence, speak into words of faith. When we say, this is what God has said he's going to do, I'm going to trust it and step out in faith that I will not fall. Maybe at times in a relationship, a marriage, love wanes, it feels like it's gone away. You feel like you don't love your spouse. But if we act like we love our spouse, if we do things that are loving, regardless of the feeling, of the truth of the moment, 
But if we do things that are loving, don't you think that the feelings of love will follow that? In those times when we question our relationship with Jesus, where we question if we are in communion with Jesus, if we just begin to act as if we're in communion with Jesus, we know that those feelings will come. The Bible tells us in spirit and in truth. We know that the feelings will come. So in those moments when we don't have faith, in those moments when we don't have the feeling, if we just step out acting as if we did, we can know and trust that God is going to work in that moment. Abraham stepped out in faith. He does it again. His son, his young strapping son, teenage, young adult, you know, 15 to 22 probably. You know, we we can assume that because that's where the wood goes. Abraham, no, no, no dummy at 115, 120 years old says, hey, dude, you carry the wood. Uh, so, so he loads up his son with the wood. Abraham grabs the fire bag, whatever that might have been, hopefully made of inflammable materials, and grabs his freshly sharpened knife, and they begin to walk up. And scripture here tells us, In verse 7, but Isaac spoke to his father and said, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. I don't know that I put enough emotion into that. Just imagine the weight behind those words. Here I am, my son. Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham is imagining a way out. He sees in this moment that there is a way out. Historians, biblical historians and commentators have have looked at this and by looking at some of the words and making a few assumptions, one thought is that Abraham was probably going into this moment thinking that I know that God is creator. I will trust that the son that he promised me will be resurrected back to life. He is stepping out with unseen faith because at this moment in time, at this point in scripture, there has been no stories of resurrection. This is a new concept. So Abraham, in his moment, is imagining this unimaginable thing is imagining something that is just spectacular by faith that's right by faith he's imagining this but going back to Ephesians it didn't say God will do what you can imagine he can do that's not what scripture says scripture tells us that God will do immeasurably exceedingly, abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. So in this moment where Abraham is displaying this monument of faith, this incredible faith in imagining that God is going to bring him and his sacrificed son back down the mountain together, that he will provide a lamb. He is imagining something spectacular, but God has something more spectacular in mind. You see, the trauma 
that Abraham would have had to endure. The trauma that Isaac would have had of laying there bound up on the altar, seeing his father raise his hand and jab that knife into his chest, slit his throat, whatever it might have been, whatever awful thing. Just imagine, even with the resurrection, imagine the trauma and horrific memory that would have been there. Even that amazing imagination of faith is still a pittance of what God has in store for that moment. God will do for Abraham more than he can ask or imagine. The best that Abraham can imagine is still short of God's plan. Hear that. The best that we can imagine for our lives is still short of what God intends. In this moment, Abraham is experiencing God punching through this ceiling. God is punching through, showing Abraham more, showing him the workings of how true and loving God is. The, the, the vastness, the depth of God's love is being displayed as, as his resurrection story is blown to bits and he's punched through that ceiling and showing that, no, God will provide a substitute. God will provide somebody to take the place of your son on this mountain. On this mountain. Where when you read Genesis, it re, it, it's interesting, you know, I find as we read through this, they, they say they went to like Bethel or, or Beersheba or something like that. And then at the end of the story, and they say, and that's why this town was named Beersheba. So you're kind of looking back with, with knowledge of what's happened, but being told how things kind of happened. And in this, in this moment, Abraham names this mountain the place where God will provide. And if you trace this mountain, the mountain where God will provide, as it is called to this day, Scripture says, if you trace that mountain, you will see that it's the mountain where most likely Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. It is most likely that same spot where for hundreds of years the Israelites would come and worship and be reminded that there is a substitute for them. That there is something immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly more that God is doing. A mountain that is just a stone's throw, you know, whatever, from where Christ himself, the true Lamb of God, will be crucified. God has punched through the ceiling, has brought Abraham and Isaac up through into the expanse, the vastness of what God intends to do, of what God's plan is and how much better God's plan is than even the best plan that we can imagine. They have punched through the ceiling of their imagination into the exceeding abundance of God's love. It can be a little discouraging at times when you read about these heroes of faith. I don't know if I would have the faith to imagine something as great as a resurrection story and take my son, which I have no children, so I can't even really imagine what that would be like, but I can imagine taking people that I know and love 
and being told to do that, it's hard. What God is asking us to do can be hard. But here, here is a moment of reality. One of those things that just lets me know that the Bible is true. Because this same family, not even the same family hundreds of years later, this same family, meaning Isaac and his son, find ceilings in their life. Ceilings that they've created that are limiting God's power. If you feel like you've bumped up against ceiling a time or two in your life, if you've created a spiritual ceiling, if you will, that if you've put up the brick, the mortar, the drywall, the studs, everything to create this spiritual ceiling, if you feel like you've created it, know that others have done that as well and that God has still taken them through. I want to look at the story of Isaac, Jacob, and Rebekah. Isaac is now an old man. We've gone from a strapping young 15 to 20 year old to the Bible doesn't really give us any indication as how old he might have been, at least that I've seen. But it refers to him, he refers to himself as an old man. Now, I guess he could have been 46 because I refer to myself as an old man um, because I'm starting to feel old. And then people who are older tell me, oh, you're just a young whippersnapper. And I'm like, awesome. Um, So I don't know how old he would have been, but he's old and he feels near death. I can say I have felt near death some days. And in chapter 27 of Genesis, the story, Isaac is laying on his bed. Isaac, who has been bound, laid on an altar and punched through the ceiling into the expanse of God's immeasurable, exceeding abundance, is laying on his deathbed. Verses... 1 to 4, tell us the story. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, to him and said, My son. And he answered, Here I am. Then he said, Behold. Great grace point word. Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please, take your weapons your quiver, and your bow. And go out into the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat. And that my soul may bless you before I die. This is Isaac, the same Isaac, who has been taken to the mountaintop of God's possibilities. Has seen himself bound up and saved at the last moment in his point of view, but saved at the right moment, the perfect moment in God's view, by a ram stuck into a thicket. This is Isaac who has seen amazing things, but has decided he wants to follow his own interest. Decided that he has a plan that should work, that's close to God. God has said your sons are going to be blessed, that one of your sons will be blessed above the other. And he's like, but God, Esau is this cool dude. I mean, come on. He is a parkour, adventure-seeking, thrill-seeking dude who goes out into the mountains for days and hunts. I mean, come on, that's manly. Isaac here laying on his bed is like, that, that dude is a dude. 
Okay, this is, this, is, this is my son, the dude. Why would you not want this amazing specimen to be the blessed of my children? And so he says, man, God, I want to do this. His amazing wife, Rachel, overhears his plan, perceives what's going on, and remembers the promise that was given to her from God back when she was pregnant. The promise that said, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Rebecca, and I'm getting that right. I always get Rebecca and Rachel confused. So if I make that mistake, forgive me. It's supposed to be Rebecca. Rebecca hears at this moment that Isaac is forgetting the promise that Isaac is wanting to go his own way, that Isaac is wanting to do his thing to, to craft his plan that follows somewhat of what God wants, but isn't quite the right thing. Rachel, for some reason, uh, no, with no other reason than just the fact that Jacob apparently was a mama's boy, it feels more drawn to Jacob, and she's like, no, no, it's my favorite son who's going to get the blessing. And she crafts a plan. She begins to lay the layers of a ceiling. Layers of the ceiling that are going to limit God's plan. Verses 6 and 10 of chapter 27 have her response. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I have heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Now, who wouldn't know more than the wife how to do that? Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. Rebecca sees God's plan being broken. And in this moment, she can only imagine the promise failing. She sees God's plan being thwarted, being taken over, being discarded by her husband. And she's like, wait a minute. I can fix this. You see, ceilings are created. Spiritual ceilings are created when we remove God from the process and place ourselves in that position. When we remove ourselves, when we remove God from a situation and place ourselves as the one who is responsible to fix it, we begin to place ceiling, layers of ceiling. Things that are limiting what God wants to do. The blessings that God has in store get limited. Because you see, God gives us free choice and he will allow us to make decisions. And we can lay the spiritual ceiling down. And in this moment, Rebecca begins to lay a ceiling down. Trying to rescue God from being wrong. They only see 
through their imagination. They are not allowing God to show them the immeasurable, exceeding, abundantly more amazing way. They have removed God from His purposes. They have removed God from the good things. Ceilings are created when good things have God removed. Good intentions, good actions, loving your neighbor. Man, I feel like I might rile some feathers with this. I don't know, hopefully not. Loving your neighbor, if God is removed, loving your neighbor is capped with a ceiling. Even helping the poor, if it's done without God, is capped with a ceiling. When we remove God from the good things, it becomes our things. And it becomes disastrously minuscule. What's an antonym for abundant? It becomes scarce. Things just go away. When we remove God from the process, we shrink His plans. When we remove God from the process, we shrink His plans, His goals. We shrink the possibilities. And we shrink them into a ceiling, into a box. Now, ceilings, if you don't believe me, ceilings are a measuring stick. I remember when I was, I don't know, 6th, 7th grade is maybe when I thought I had a chance, 8th grade. I remember those times in school walking down the hall or into the classroom or into the bathroom, wherever it was that I thought I might do it, coiling my body down, which I can't do near as well as I did back then, coiling my body down, and I'm not even going to try and demonstrate, and just with all my might, unspringing my body, leaping up, stretching my arm as high as I could, and hoping beyond hope that the skin of the tip of my very longest finger would somehow graze the last layer of paint on the ceiling, and I would have said, hey, I've touched the ceiling. And then as time went on, as you got into ninth and 10th grade, you know, as the, the boys began to grow, it was like, oh, hey, I can put my whole palm up on the ceiling. Or, hey, I can touch my head to the ceiling or my elbow, which I can't even get above my head at this moment in time. You know, you, you, would, you would do all of these things. The ceiling was a measuring stick. And when we create spiritual ceilings, it becomes a measuring stick of what we can accomplish without God. And when we shrink the goal, grace is removed. When we shrink the goal, grace is removed. You see, when we insert ourselves or anything... When we take a God deed and insert something and make it a good deed, it becomes a problem. You see, good deeds must always be God deeds. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I don't want to insert words into Scripture, but I do feel like an explanation, an expanding of understanding of this, because I've heard that verse my whole life. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You've heard that all your life. But do we believe that with God, we can do more with all things? If I can do all things, then great, I can do all things. But God tells us that He wants us to do exceedingly, 
abundantly, immeasurably more with all things. When we shrink it down to something that we can accomplish, something that doesn't take faith to step out into thin air and hope by beyond hope that a stair will come up to meet me or something, I don't know what it might be, but God may have a different plan where I just am like levitating along, walking on air, whatever it might be. Don't sell God's plan short by removing him from the process. All good things by our very nature. All good things by our very nature bump against the ceiling. You know, the army. I appreciate the army, and I, I am not degrading their slogan at all, but it, it speaks to something. Be all you can be. If we live our spiritual lives in that way, we will be minuscule. We will be depressed and saddened because we can be all that we can be, but it's never going to measure up. But God, when he inserts his grace, when God inserts his grace and makes us to become more than we can be, God blows the ceiling off of the room. Not only does he punch a hole through the ceiling, God blows the ceiling away. The ceiling is removed, and we can begin to see what God's immeasurable, exceeding, abundant plan is for our life. God longs to do in us, to work through us more than we can ask or imagine. The story continues. And just today, in the reading of Genesis and the story of Jacob, as he begins to come back, we see God removing the ceilings. We see grace being inserted because Jacob, the guy who deceived his father, who put on, who put on animal skin so he could be as hairy as his brother, just think about that. And Yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Just think about that. He had to put animal skin on to become as hairy as his brother. That's kind of ridiculous. This man who did that, who deceived his father, who went in to do that, is wrestling with God. And in this moment, God has said, your deceiver name of Jacob is going to be changed to Israel, Israel. God takes, when he inserts his grace into our lives, it blows the ceiling off of what we can be. And we see that even if you have bumped against the ceiling in your life, we see that God can step into that situation because God knows we're going to bump into ceilings, but he still wants to do more when we keep Jesus in the center of our focus. When we keep Jesus front and center in our life, when we're focused on him, God is going to do exceeding, abundant, immeasurable things in our life. Hopefully you see that the story of Abraham, the story of Isaac, the story of Jacob, doesn't have to end in a box with a ceiling. Your experience, your story, does not have to end in a ceiling with a, in a box with a ceiling. God wants to blow that ceiling off. He wants to take you up to the mountain top where you will be able to see 
all around and see to the expanse, the height, the depth, the width of God's love, you'll be taken to the mountain where it will be provided. God longs to do more than we can ask or imagine. The challenge is today, don't let yourself be a limiting factor. Don't let your plans for God get in the way of God's plans for you. With the power of God, our story ends well beyond what we can ask or imagine. With God in our lives, with the power of God working, our story ends experiencing that exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more that God wants to give us. I hope that you want to experience that. I hope that you will allow God to blow through the ceiling, that you will allow God to remove the spiritual ceilings that you have created, and you will step into his abundance, into his exceeding abundance, into his immeasurable exceeding abundance. Pray with me. God, this morning, I have been challenged to let you step in to what you've already planned for me and you long to just blow the ceiling off of the boxes I've created. So God, may we, as a church, always allow you to be working in us. Jesus, may we keep you as our central focus. May we experience the abundance of your grace in our lives. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.